So it's not about everybody has to run into the world and start a podcast and be on the TED stage. That's absolutely not what this is. It's about finding a way that you can say what you think regularly and often and you can share your ideas and opinions with others regularly and often in a way that sends a signal to the world of this is my skill set this is my talent and I am ready to rise I am ready to meet new opportunities I'm ready to get more influence I am ready to do good work and create positive change in the world Welcome back to the Leaders with Babies podcast and thank you for tuning in again. As you know, I'm Farina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. And the reason why I set up this award-winning social enterprise and also why I spend my time talking to people nowadays via Zoom, via this podcast, is because I really, really believe that everyone deserves access to inspirational role models and also get practical support to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. I'm always looking for people who want to get involved. So I know actually that some really senior people are listening to this podcast. So if you are one of those and you want to get involved as a senior leader mentor for our fellowship program, then definitely head over and get in touch on my website, leadersplus.org.uk. And also applications for our fellowship program are open. So if you are a leader with either a baby, a toddler or primary school child, and you're looking for that supportive community of peers, if you want to get support um, from others, new fresh ideas around how to progress your careers in the context of having a child then i'd love to hear from you all the details are on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship and you can there either download the application form or set up a chat with me or just register to the newsletter so today i am talking to lauren curry obe she is someone who has been highly recommended to me by one of the fellows on our program so a fellow parent who is an absolute fan of her and I'm very pleased for the recommendation because we discovered we have a shared interest in the topic of visibility. How do you make sure that you are noticed after you return from a period of leave, perhaps maternity leave? How do you make sure that you're still seen as an important contributor even though you're not physically present in an office? And most importantly, you know, all that hard work that you're doing, sitting at your desk, on your computer, going above and beyond, how do you make sure that people actually see that and recognize you for it? Lauren is quite a radical thinker in a good way about why we should be thinking about visibility and also just practically how do you do it and how do you do it within 10 minutes a day. So I learned a lot from her. As a serial entrepreneur, she is a very interesting person. She started a number of companies <laughs> since the age of 22. Her latest one is particularly interesting with Stride, an app that you can access leadership development as well. So very interesting person. I hope you get a lot from her. Um, do let us know what you think. If you do find it useful, then definitely share the podcast with five of your friends who you think could benefit a text message or an email is super super helpful and also you can support us by obviously leaving a five-star review and sharing it on social media so a big big thank you to everybody who's done that already enjoy today's conversation so a very warm welcome lauren to the podcast lovely to chat to you again why don't we start with you introducing yourself your family and 
a bit about your career background and what you do. Hey, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of Leaders with Babies, which I think is my favourite podcast title ever. Yeah, my name's Lauren and my family story is I have a little boy called Atlas who turns three at the end of January and me and my partner and Atlas have just moved to Stockholm one month ago and we were living in London before so that's been a big shift for our family and lots of new things and unknowns to explore and my background is in design I set up my first business straight after university when I was 23 and built one of the UK's first service design for social change agencies and I've been building businesses and products ever since and right now my focus is I run two companies one is Stride and there we run a mission to democratise leadership development, building a digital product and the other is Upfront and Upfront is on a mission to change confidence for women and we do that through courses and talks and workshops. Mm -hmm. Brilliant and you are what people might call a serial entrepreneur aren't you? Stride is your Yeah, so I think there's six and right now there's four that are active. The two I mentioned, Striding Upfront, are my main focus, but we have another two. We have a coffee truck business in the UK that we launched over the pandemic, which my partner takes the lead on, but I'm involved in that one. And the other business is one that me and my partner started when my pregnancy was dragging on and on and on and on. My baby was two weeks late and I was stuck in the house and very, very grumpy. And I decided to draw a piece of art for his nursery with his name on and quite quickly realised that lots of my friends and colleagues, you know, also wanted the name drawn in that way. So we built Letter Love Shop, which is a gender neutral nursery decor business and we make names we make prints of babies names that are all about teaching them about wild animals and nature Mm. it's so hilarious to me I have to say that basically you ended up being bored while waiting for your baby (laughs) and therefore you somehow ended up starting a business I love that story and it might be worth just saying so stride is obviously your big piece of work at the moment it might just be worth saying what it is so You've told me just before you came on air, it's an app people can download and access leadership development. Yes. So our mission is to democratise leadership development. So essentially, you know, we're responding to the fact that leadership development as an industry is broken. It's old fashioned. It's still very male and white and quite American and kind of adhering to an outdated version of leadership that's about status and control and kind of telling people what to do and for most of us so the average age of somebody when they have their first leadership development training is 42 interesting and we are horrified by that stat and want to build a product that's completely affordable and accessible to everybody from the very beginning of their career so it's a habit forming app you can download it for android and iphone 
have a play. I'd love to know what you think. It's free and it's all about teaching you good leadership habits. And every two weeks, we also have talks from experts, a little like what you and your team here at Leadership with Babies do. And they also get really brilliant feedback and people are telling us that they love that it's on their phone, that it's really bite-sized, that it's really relevant, easy to consume. And ultimately, it's changing what they think about leadership. It's helping them realize that actually leadership's not about your job title. And it's not about how senior you are or where you sit in a hierarchy. It's about how you show up. And it's about your mindset and your behavior. That's very true. And I think it's actually by the age of 42, people's habits are already so ingrained. Mm-hmm that actually it's really worthwhile to start early if you want to make long-lasting change. Mm. Totally. So it might be worth saying to the listeners about one of our shared area of interest is probably visibility and yes. creating that visibility for yourself, which is such a difficult thing to do for many of us. But I think you weren't able to get away from it. You had to focus on making sure you're visible in the workplace because as a serial entrepreneur, that is the only way to get customers. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share a bit more about how you first got interested into the topic of visibility? Was there a particular moment in your career or were you just always good at making yourself visible? Yeah, so I think there was definitely a kind of turning point moment and that moment happened, I think, probably five years ago now, an event in Bristol where I was one of the keynote speakers One of the amazing consequences of the work that I do is that I get invited to talk on stage. Brilliant people like you invite me to come and talk to their audience, you know, and people listen. And I take that very seriously. It's a huge privilege. And this day in Bristol, I was once again, I was the only woman speaker on the stage. The majority of the speakers were white. And coming from a place of naivety, I just couldn't get my head around it. I didn't understand why the audience was full of women and my social media feeds were full of brilliant women doing amazing things, yet their stories weren't being heard. So I called this out in my talk and that was the kind of catalyst to a whole series of conversations about why don't you speak on stage? Would you ever speak on stage? What does that mean for you? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And I put a post-it note in the toilets at the event and said, do you want to speak on stage? Talk to me. So my Instagram and Twitter feed was also on fire with people in the audience wanting to have this conversation with me. And that was the day that I realized this is a huge, very complex and very intersectional problem because of course It's about gender, it's also about race and it's about class and it's about Mm. ability and it's about health and it's about wealth and all sorts of layers of intersectionalities that means being visible is different for everybody and is more difficult for certain social groups than it is for the social groups that are overrepresented, which is normally, you know, middle-aged, white, privately educated men. And when I was having these conversations with the people who kind of responded to my call out, I kept hearing this kind of recurring pattern and this recurring theme of there's just no way I would ever stand up on a stage. Like the very idea of standing up on a stage is absolutely terrifying. So I decided to kind of zoom right in on that very small aspect to what is a larger systemic problem. And my hypothesis was this, what if we can get 
keynote speakers to share their power, to recognize their privilege and have a giant red sofa on stage with them so that people with stage fright can sit on the sofa and chill out and become acclimatized to the other side, being on the other side of the stage. To cut a long story short, we tried it out. We had over 50 people apply for a seat on the stage. All of this, you know, was telling me we're on to something valuable. This is making a difference. I was then able to talk to the people who sat on the stage, the speakers, the audience members. And it was really quite profound for lots of people who were involved in the experience. So then I kind of turned it into a project that I always just thought was going to be a bit of a kind of guerrilla movement, if you like. Like, how can we get upfront sofas at conferences all over the world? And, you know, five years later, We've had over 500 people sit on the sofa. We know that it dramatically increases their confidence. We know they're 30% more likely to speak at an event themselves one day. But then the interesting thing was people would sit on the couch and then say, okay, Lauren, like what happens now? Do you have a book I can buy or a podcast or a course? And I was like, shit, I have none of those things. So that was what led to what you see now as Upfront as a business that offers a range of products and services, which is essentially courses that are the antidote to most public speaking courses on the market are. We have a lot of products that are designed purely and specifically for people who identify as women. So we can dig into how different genders experience being visible and finding confidence very differently and ultimately helping people realize that the problem does not lie with them. Mm. The problem Mm. lies within the systems and the structures that we grow up in and we live in. And I think a huge amount of women walk through the world and move through their life being told to be more confident, to speak up, to get a grip. And they think that that's their problem and that that's something that they have to fix and that they're broken somehow. And none of that is true. And that's why I love doing this work and will continue to do it because I think it's so important to teach women in particular that that is a myth that we must not listen to. Mm, Very true. And you're explaining very eloquently why from a system or society perspective, it is absolutely essential that we get more women, more ethnic minorities, more people who don't fit into that privately educated idea on stage and visible. But if someone is listening to this and says, well, actually, I am already working extremely hard. I am already a little bit stressed. And why should I even bother thinking about how to make myself more visible? Yeah, of course. What's in it for me? Yeah, and I could talk all day about all of the summer excuses, summer reasons, the kind of a lot of the beliefs that we tell ourselves around if I just work really hard, my hard work will pay off or, you know, look at all these other women that I can see who don't seem to have to be visible and they get brilliant opportunities or the people that I know who are visible are arrogant and show-offs and I would never want to be that. And then, of course, the classic one of I have no time. And, you know, I think it's really important that we acknowledge right now we know that the pandemic has disproportionately affected women you know we know that more women have lost jobs than men have we know that women are taking the brunt of caring responsibilities and we have seen the most significant moment in black history happen we've had an American election these are times where it is really important to take good care of yourself 
and prioritise. But I think being visible is directly linked to opportunity and growth. You know, it's not something that we do for fun or for the sake of it. We know that being visible will mean that you are more likely to be chosen. You're more likely to be noticed. Your network will grow stronger. Your relationships will grow stronger. And all of that links to opportunities that are often connected with wealth and influence. And these are things that we need more women to have because right now we have a huge amount of inequality when it comes to wealth and power and influence. And I think like all things, you know, whether it's building a new habit to go to the gym or building a new habit to learn a new language, which I'm trying to do just now, that's super hard. It's about making the commitment to yourself that you will make the time and it, might mean that you'll have to stop doing something else or you have to find a way to do it that feels really manageable. So that might be 10 minutes on a Sunday evening. It might be 30 minutes every Monday morning or it might be something that you think about once a month. You know, there are no rights and wrongs, but it's up to you to kind of find a rhythm and a ritual that feels good for you. And the place that I always advise people to start is to write a long list of the people in your life or in your work or in your team who would benefit if you were more visible. Because I think where a lot of women get stuck is they see the behaviours around visibility as selfish or self-centered where actually it's the very very opposite and that by you yourself being visible you might be generating more wealth you might be generating opportunity you might be gathering influence and all of that means that the people around you and the people you love will benefit and that's Mm. an amazing thing well said and by being visible can you just explain what you mean by that yeah being visible is about being seen and being heard so we know There's lots of academics and teams of brilliant people who are studying this all the time. They're studying how we behave in meetings. We're studying how promotions happen. We're studying how negotiations happen. We're studying how people take credit for work, how influence is perceived in society and organisations. And we know that there is a direct link to visibility. And we also know that women are less likely to take credit for their work. They are less likely to take ownership for their ideas and their skills and their talents. And they are less likely to publicly and openly and honestly talk about their work and their achievements and their learnings and their failings. That plays a big role in, for example, how many of us see incompetent, mediocre men get promotions and we sit and we think, how did that happen? Mm. And we can't figure it out. And one of the reasons that that happens is because they have made an effort to be visible. They've made an effort to speak up regularly and often. They've put their hand up to speak on stage. They've put their hand up to go on the podcast. They've put their hand up to go on the panel. They've put their hand up to lead the volunteer team, you know, whatever it might be. And there's lots and lots of different ways to be visible. And I think that's a really important point. For some, it's about being on stage. For others, it's about writing. For others, it's about conversation. There's lots of ways. And I think it's up to you to kind of try on a few and find out what suits you and find out what feels good. Because if it feels like a chore and it feels horrible, you're not going to want to do it. 
That's very true. And I think that is also hugely relevant for all the men listening to this who mm-hmm. are that, who are going on parental leave, who are doing the unusual thing of perhaps working flexibly in a senior role, but also wanting to look after their children. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for people who are underrepresented in senior roles or who do things that are brave and different to be able to be visible. So from a practical perspective, then, I mean, you're clearly someone who gets invited to speak to lots of things, including this one. But how do you, let's say someone has been on the sofa, like you described, or someone maybe isn't actually particularly scared of being on stage, but how do you go from zero to being invited to be on the panel at your workplace event? Yeah, I mean, this is the million dollar question, isn't it? It's like, so what now? You know, what do you do? And I think the first thing to recognize is that for most of us, it takes time and it also takes consistency. You know, I think this is a very long term game and it's about showing up regularly and often. And I think there's two things that I would recommend that you go away and think about if this is something you want to work on. And the first is saying thank you. Now, saying thank you publicly, and publicly that might mean verbally in a meeting, it might mean on social media, it might mean on your LinkedIn, it might mean something you write. But saying thank you to people who have inspired you, people who you've learned from, people who have made you think differently about your work is a brilliant way to get used to the feeling of pressing publish, to get used to the feeling of speaking up and out when the stakes are very low. And actually what you're doing is, you know, shining a light on somebody else. But it will also, it's a brilliant way to practice and it's a brilliant way to start new relationships because most of the time the people you say thank you to will want to talk to you because to be thanked is a lovely thing. So I would think about that. And the second thing is to write. And I'm a huge believer that writing is, if you can do one thing around this idea of career progression and visibility, it's writing. Now, lots of you will be thinking, ah, I'm not a writer. I don't have time to write. And I say, that's bullshit. You are. You already write emails. You write text messages. You write shopping lists. We are all writers. We have a very unhelpful education system that makes us think that Some of the elite special chosen few are writers, and that's a nonsense. If you want to deepen your expertise in something, you write. If you want to get known for something, write. If you want to build a business, write. If you want to start a podcast, write. And you might decide that you want to write a few short sentences once a week. You might decide you want to write something longer but it's about building up that muscle all of these things are muscles it's just like going to the gym you can learn all of it you can train yourself and you know the six-week online course that we run up front a huge output of that is by the end of the course the women are writing they are writing and publishing regularly about what they think about the world and a lot of the women on our course are often not employed. They're often freelancers running their own businesses, stay-at-home parents. This stuff's not connected to kind of society's out-of-date view of what productivity means. This stuff is connected to taking a stand, having an opinion and saying what you think. And I think it's really powerful that we're having this conversation in the context of leadership because all of this stuff leads to leadership it leads to people listening to you following you it leads to people 
that we don't normally see in rooms where decisions are made. It leads to different types of people being in those rooms. And ultimately, that's what we need to happen. We need to have different voices, voices that represent everybody, not just the white elite few, to be in these rooms where decisions are made. Mm, Absolutely. I want to think in a bit more into your personal story, Lauren. So you Mm -hmm. started your company when you were very young. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure you're doing some things quite differently now from how you did them then. So what would you say are the biggest things that you changed about how you manage your own visibility? What practically do you do differently today that you wouldn't have done at the age of 23? Gosh, I have never thought about it before. And it is a really good question. So I think one thing, and it will probably surprise your listeners, is that it was only last year. So after very intentionally, you know, I talk about working in the open. It's like most of us work in the dark, which I think is ultimately a bit selfish because you're keeping all of your knowledge and ideas and stories to yourself. When you work in the open, you share them. And that's a brilliant thing to do for yourself and other people. But after yeah, 12 years of working in the open, it was only last year that I changed my online handles to my actual name. So up until that, all my handles were Red Jotter, which Jotter is... The Scottish word for notebook, and I chose it very quickly without much thought at all, just because I like red notebooks and I've always used them. Because back then I had an ex-boyfriend, so I, I didn't want him to find my channels or something ridiculous. And I decided I would kind of go under the name of Red Jotter, and that was the name of my blog and my Twitter handle and my Instagram. And you know, over time for the first three years, it was only ever my mum that <laughs> read anything that I wrote. Slowly and slowly over time, it started to become the kind of go-to resource for people interested in service design. And now I've got a community of 25,000 people who trust me and listen to me and appreciate the content that I share because it helps them in lots of different ways. Because ultimately, that's why I'm doing this, because it helps other people and it helps me. So if I could go back and start again, I would, of course, started from a place of owning my name and putting my face and my name to everything. Just that, to use your face. Like I have a lot of conversations with women who just find the very idea of even having a headshot taken to put a picture on their LinkedIn profile deeply uncomfortable. And I really see that and recognize that that is difficult. And I have the privilege of being white, of being what society accepts as pretty, in inverted commas, for being young and all of these things make it easier for me to feel comfortable to put my face on the internet. But I think we need to support each other to be visible because ultimately when people who look like you and sound like you see you, you are telling them you can one day be where I am. You can one day do what I do. And we know we've seen it with just the cover of Elle magazine this week is two young black women who are very much in love and the cover is them kissing. That's something that we don't see. We don't see a young gay black couple kissing on magazine covers. And that is an example of 
the power of visibility. It's like you yourself running a business, running a podcast and being pregnant. It's like that's not something that we see. So by you stepping up and saying, here I am and this is me, it makes other women who are in the same position as you think, hey, maybe I could run a podcast. Maybe Mm -hmm. one day that could be me. And Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama are stellar examples of we now have young black and brown girls who now believe that one day they could be in the White House because they can see people who look like them, look like their mummies and aunties in the White House. And that's an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing. Yeah, that is very true. I can relate to a lot of what you said. I think there's also something of just having to get over yourself. So I come from Switzerland and I'm sure you will have experienced this now having moved to Sweden, but it's a similar culture in the sense of the expectation is that you don't promote yourself. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, that behavior isn't helpful because in Switzerland, some of the behaviors that are totally acceptable in the UK would be really looked down on. For example, saying, oh, I volunteer to be on a panel event or something like mm-hmm. that. But I think in the UK, my experience is you have to do that. If you don't volunteer, if you don't say, well, actually, I would like to be on your podcast. I would like to have this conversation. One, like you say, actually, it means that people are not going to hear the important things you're going to say. But also, there are hundreds of other people who will volunteer, and many of them will fit into the certain mm-hmm. white, privately educated male. Mm-hmm. If you don't volunteer yourself and put yourself forward, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And that's something I definitely had mm-hmm. to learn coming from quite a different culture, even though I'm European. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we have people join our upfront bonds they're called bonds so bond is the collective noun for a group of women so each kind of cohort of women that go through the program are called bonds and the third bond is just about to open in January and you know we have women from different parts of the world from Asia from Australia and some of the cultural norms from some of the women who have grown up in different parts of the world mean that they have what's known as a referent group. So they have a group of people that might be their parents, their neighbours, their religious community, their cultural community that expect them to behave in a certain way. And when you don't behave in that way, there can be negative consequences and it can be difficult. And I think it's about recognising that If we don't take the bold move of pushing back against our referent group, things will not change. The status quo will remain. And I think we're all in agreement that we need things to change and we need to challenge the status quo with all of the strength and power and skills and talents that we have. So it's not about everybody has to run into the world and start a podcast and be on the TED stage. That's absolutely not what this is. It's about finding a way that you can say what you think regularly and often, and you can share your ideas and opinions with others regularly and often in a way that sends a signal to the world of, this is my skill set, this is my talent, and I am ready to rise. I am ready to meet new opportunities. I'm ready to get more influence. I am ready to do good work and create positive change in the world. Because if you choose to say no, to stay hidden, to stay in the dark, essentially, you will miss out. That is the truth of it. You will miss out. And, you know, whether we like it or we don't like it, we could have a philosophical argument about this topic as well. The system is not going to change anytime soon. The way I see it, 
and I learned this from Kelly Deals, who is a feminist marketing expert. She talks about we're standing in front of a massive, massive giant wall and each of us have got a pickaxe and you need to keep knocking down the wall in the space that's in front of you and the bit that you have access to. Now, sometimes I think we stand back and look at the whole wall and think, well, what the fuck is the point? Because this wall is so huge and so giant and so scary and so powerful that I'll never be able to make a difference. And you are right. You're not going to be able to knock down that wall on your own. But if you look around, there are hundreds and millions of us standing in front of that wall and we each have a pickaxe and we each have a different talents and skills and voices and opinions and stories. And if we work together and we do that work in the open, I do believe the wall will fall down, you know, to keep the metaphor going. I believe that the power is in the collective strength of women standing up and saying, I am brilliant at this thing. I am really good at why. Give me this opportunity. Absolutely. Very true. And also it's about making life easy for yourself. So if you are passionate about a specific issue and let's say you might be really passionate about a certain aspect of the GDPR laws, Mm -hmm. you are speaking about that regularly and offering your opinions on it you will become known as the go-to person and that means you will attract other people who have questions on it and it's just about making your life easy and then I think one thing that has really helped me is just to think back to the purpose actually I mean I'm not passionate about GDPR law but let's (laughs) assume you are then it's going to help you make a bigger difference because you're going to attract people who want to engage in this conversation yeah it's exactly that and I think the other way of looking at the story you just described is that it's actually quite selfish to not make yourself accessible so by making yourself super accessible saying this is me this is my name this is my face this is what I'm good at and this is how I can help you you're making the lives of other people who need help with that thing easier you're making it easier for them to choose who might help me with this and that is a gift that's being of service you know for me Being visible is about being of service. It's an act of generosity and kindness that I also benefit from. So it's a win-win all round. Mm, Absolutely. So now we're obviously, most of us are working from home still. Mm -hmm. Everyone is online. Practically, if someone is online right now, aside from writing lots of articles on LinkedIn, what are two or three practical things they can do to increase their visibility, assuming they're working for a big employer? Mm-hmm. So the first thing, and Cindy Gallup talks about this, and she is an amazing entrepreneur who used to be very senior in the advertising industry, who is worth looking up if you're interested in this topic. And she talks about saying what you think. Now, this might seem deceptively simple, but people who grow up through the world as women have been conditioned to not say what you think. Like, how often do you really, truly, deeply say what you think at work? in meetings, around the dinner table. That is the one thing that you can do that will only serve you well. It will make a massive difference to your career and your life. And I think the writing thing, you know, it's important to recognise it's much more nuanced than now you have to go and write lots of LinkedIn articles because sure, you might like LinkedIn, you might like writing articles, but you might not. You might want to write poems. You might want to write a play. You might want to write company updates. You might want to write tweets. You might want to write something on Instagram that's much more visual. I think it's about experimenting with different ways of writing. But the most important thing is to just practice, like get comfortable with writing down 
what you think. And I've actually got a free resource on my website, laurencurry.co, that you can download and it's got lots of prompts, visibility prompts, so questions that you can answer to give you that kind of boost of where will I start, what question might I answer. And again, they're all questions that are about being of service. So like what some of the questions you've asked me here today, like what do you do differently now than you did 10 years ago? That's really easy for me to answer and it will help everybody who's listening who's at a different stage of the journey to me, that answer will help them. What do you wish you'd known about your industry before you started? That's going to really help anybody who's coming into your industry for the first time. So I think while it feels kind of daunting and unknown, it's about being really kind to yourself and being visible in a way that feels safe and feels good. Whilst kind of challenging yourself, tell people round about you. Tell your teammate, your line manager, your colleagues, okay, this is something that I'm working on. So hold me accountable. Give me the kick up the bum when I need it. And where I would start is saying what you think more often and start looking around yourself. Start looking at how people you admire, they might be in your immediate vicinity, they might be people you see on TV or hear on the radio. Look at how other people are visible. Look at how other people tell the story of their work and their power and copy them. Make it your own. That's a really brilliant way to kind of get inspired and Mm. motivated and keep looking at that list of who will benefit Absolutely. Very true. And I think the other thing to understand is that most of the people that you will hear speaking, even though they say, oh, I'm so grateful to be chosen to be in this panel. In reality, they will have put themselves forward. People who've won awards, especially in a UK context, I would say at least two thirds of awards that people have won, they will have put themselves forward Mm -hmm. too. So don't be under the assumption that they're somehow better just because they're on stage. It's just that they've put themselves. Absolutely. And don't wait. I'm simplifying, but yeah, yeah. Don't wait to be chosen. You know, I get emails every week from conference organizers who are inundated. And I mean, inundated with emails from average white dudes saying, can I speak at your event? And they're like, no. And this is definitely not to alienate that group but the reality is that that group are overrepresented they are overrepresented they are taking up too much space and not enough of them are doing the work to learn how to take up less space they're not doing mm. the work to say how can i make the women and the black and brown people around about me more visible they're saying mm. to me these conference organizers are saying to me we need more women we need more people of color like how do we get them because none of them are emailing us and asking for a space and it's about what's the worst thing that can happen what's the best thing that could happen just send the email ask say yes i bet there's people listening who adore this podcast and have listened to every episode and would love to be a guest but don't think they're good enough so today is the day that you should email and ask you know can I be a guest on your podcast Mm, definitely and especially if you have a story around how you're managing your perfectionism then I would love to hear from you so definitely do put yourselves forward yeah I just want to also go on to the topic about being a visible parent so a lot of parents tell me they're unsure about whether or not to put on their LinkedIn profile that they've been on maternity leave or whether or not to say that they're a dad with young children I have a view on that. What is your view? So my view is, again, if we want to normalize 
leaders having babies, if we want to normalise the fact that many of us have families and caring responsibilities and we're also ambitious and want to do good work, then each of us have a responsibility to be as open and as visible as we can. And this is where it's about being an ally. So for the white men listening in, this is your job. This is your chance. You need to be the person to speak up and say, well, what's the paternity leave policy? What's the policy if my kid is sick? You need to ask these questions, even if you don't have kids. You need to be the person to talk about what you earn with your colleagues without waiting to be asked. Mm. And I think this kind of, what do I put on my CV? It comes up a lot in Upfront where people will say to me, I've got a gap, in inverted commas, I've got a gap in my CV and it's making me get all sorts of negative feedback. Like, what the fuck? It's not a gap taking time away from traditional employment to have babies, to care, to look after yourself is not a gap. It's vital, precious work that makes the world go round. You know, we've seen this from COVID. We stood on the streets and applauded the key workers Mm. who are people who have got caring responsibilities. They're people with babies and they're not the people who are getting paid the most the way that they should be. So for one, I think it's about changing your mindset and that you've got nothing to be ashamed of. You've got nothing to justify or explain to anybody. You know, of course, I am the chair of the charity Pregnant Then Screwed. So I'm very, very familiar with the huge amount of difficulty and pain and trauma and really bad behavior that pregnant people experience from their employers and if you have been affected do look up pregnant and screwed and we can help Mm. but I think we all need to take a stand and it's not about here's lots of photos of my kid on my CV but it's about normalizing the conversation making it Mm. normal to be in the boardroom and be pregnant to be in the boardroom and be a carer that's something that we all have power over we can all change that narrative if we work together Mm. Couldn't agree more. Um, Assuming someone is listening today who has been out of the picture for years, some people during maternity or share-friend leave or adoption leave do decide to stay on social media, to catch up regularly with their teams. But actually, there are lots of people who understandably say, no, I want a proper break. Mm -hmm. What is the simple first step they can take to get back into the visibility game? So... I think, again, I'm going to keep hammering the points of saying what you think and writing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also about organising. So if you are the person who organises an impromptu coffee meetup or organises, let's all jump on Zoom to talk about a specific theme or topic, you become the person that is known for being that. You become the glue, the person who's bringing people together. And that might be on a tiny scale, like... Let's create a Slack channel at work for those of us who have got caring responsibilities. And that's a way to make yourself visible whilst adding value. So I think it's about going out of your way to create connections with people, saying thank you, asking for coffee dates, asking for a catch up, putting yourself out there to remind yourself and others that you are here, you've got something to say, you've got value to give. And, Mm. you know, surround yourself in allies, people who know you, who know your value, who see your worth, who can keep reminding you that you matter and that you're good enough. And ultimately, be super, super kind to yourself because the transition 
back into work after being away because of caring responsibilities can be very difficult because mm. our workplaces have not been built for parents. Mm. They have not been built with women in mind. The patriarchy has built work systems and structures that do not serve us and they do not serve the majority of men either. You know, And that's mm. why it is about standing at that wall with your pickaxe. What do you have control and influence over being visible and doing the work? Mm, Absolutely. At the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned 10 minutes and lots of people listening to this will only have 10 minutes. So if there Mm -hmm. was something they could do today, aside from saying thank you or writing, I guess, a tweet with their opinion on something, what concrete things would you recommend they should spend 10 minutes on if they want to increase their visibility? So you should buy a domain name with your name on it. Because the thing about all of these social media platforms is they are not owned by any of us. They can be taken away at any minute. And the power of the internet and the technology we have means that every single one of us can create a wee piece of real estate on the internet that's just ours. And that means that when somebody Googles you, which every single employer that you might ever meet in your life will do, you control what they see. And it's not about building fancy websites. It's not about needing developers or a logo or a brand or any of that nonsense that things online will tell you you need. You need to register the domain and then you can have one page that says, this is my name, this is what I do, and here's my email. And here's a photograph of my face or whatever you choose to have on it. And this is something that I genuinely mean it when I say, I'm here to help you with that. You know, my DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. I send a newsletter every two weeks with lots of tips and I help. I'm here to help you kind of get over that first block if you're thinking, "Ah, I know I need to do this, but I'm still stuck. So register your domain name. And then I think the other thing is to spend time with what might be somebody that motivates you or inspires you like seek those people out and kind of let their words lift you up and look at how they are being visible, look at how they are owning their story and their power. And slowly over time, that will start to help you and it will make you feel positive and optimistic about what you're doing in the moment. Couldn't agree more. Very well said. And if people want to find more about your work, where should they go? So on the internet, my handle is my names underscore Lauren Curry underscore. So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My website is laurencurry.co and there you can sign up for my newsletter. If you're excited about Stride, you can search Stride Leadership on the App Store and Upfront is weareupfront.com. Our next six-week online course opens in January. It's free for women who are on maternity leave. I'd love to welcome any listeners who are excited about that. But yeah, essentially follow me. Let's continue the conversation. I am a leader with a baby. I mean, my baby's three now. He's a big baby. But I want to live in a world where leaders having babies is very, very normal and average and not even something that we comment on. So until that day comes, let's keep talking and keep going. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, Lauren. It was lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Brenna. I really enjoyed it. Really appreciate the work you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you are looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors, then 
do head over to leadersplus.org.uk and register interest right now. You can also download the application to the fellowship program. We do have hardship fund spaces available for people who are, for example, not employed or otherwise in financially challenging circumstances. If this podcast has helped you in any way, then do please take a moment to share it with five of your friends. It makes such a difference. And also, I mean, nicely that more and more people listen. Well, one, I feel happy. And two, it shows that it's making a difference to people. And obviously, I'm doing this in order to make a difference. Like with any podcast, if you can press five star review and put a review on there, then that really does help with the visibility. So a big thank you and have a wonderful week. Until next time.